dear fellow white Americans and everyone else who may be listening to this podcast, why are you making me have to record this? Why? Look, it, it should be easy. Honestly, before we even get to the opening credits, we should be done. Believe people of color. They're done. Black Lives Matter. They're done. The, the fact that this is a debate that you all are having, you're going to bring my Southern out, and I'm going to start saying y'all and honey a lot, because uh, you've gone crazy. So let's talk about the state of the country, and hopefully you'll understand on today's episode of Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie, and I guess I'm technically white, because, you know, I'm Irish, Dutch, and a little bit of English, so, you know, for the longest time, the Irish part of me was not considered white, but that, that's a topic for a completely different, different episode now, isn't it? Uh, okay, so... Our country is completely going crazy. And it's not the people of color. It's not the protesters. It's the entitled white people that are sitting around going, Oh, duh. Why is all of this happening? Everything's been ever so wonderful and racism has been totally cured. Why? Why is all of this happening? And... I just, I don't know what to say to you. Granted, I know I'm not really talking to you. This is really an episode of preaching to the choir, and I'm okay with that. Because I know the kinds of people that are of that mindset probably aren't listening to me. Because, you know, I am queer and non-binary and all that stuff that y'all don't like either. But I... I <sighs> I feel like I have to talk. I feel like I have to say something because being silent right now just won't cut it. And I know this is because my little Larry Kramer has been screaming at the top of his lungs for a while. We talked about that on the day that Larry died and I'm still not quite over that. And now all, <clears throat> all I keep seeing is these white talking heads going, but I do declare, how is there so much anger? How is there so much rage? How is, how is people not understanding how all this is working perfectly well? Or just being completely out of their minds and calling for violence and suppression of free speech and all that. Look, I, I don't agree with the looting. I don't agree with the fires and all that. But... The idea that you couldn't see this coming, that you didn't understand that this rage was just building up because of the way our country has treated so many people here for so long, shows a blindness that I just can't, I just can't comprehend. See, there was a time when I could have, 
Because uh, confession time, my name's Charlie and I used to be a conservative Republican a long time ago, a long time ago. So we're going to take a magic trip all the way back to 1995. You see, I grew up all over the country, but from the time I was around 10 to my mid-20s, I lived in Frederick, Maryland. And that is what changed my life forever. You see, I lived in an apartment complex, and it was like the United Nations. My friends were from Brazil and Korea and Iran and Turkey, and there were some African-American friends in there. I had very few white friends because of the area of town we lived in and the apartment complex we lived in and the school I went to when I was young. Now that all changed when I went to high school and I went to the white high school that had very few people of color in it. But those formative years, I was surrounded by people who were not raised in the bubble I had been raised in. See, I had lived in white America, in privileged white America. We weren't rich. We were lower middle class, if middle class, most of my life. But we didn't have to deal with a lot of the crap that I heard and saw my friends have to deal with. And so I, I didn't understand. It took a long time for me to understand. So if you're one of the white people listening to my voice right now who doesn't understand, I was you once. But something happened that changed me. Well, a couple things happened. When I was in fifth grade, one of my friends, Jimmy, was shot and killed. And I assumed that people would care because he was the same age as I was. We went to the same school. We were friends. But he was a black person. He was a little black kid, and he was killed by another black person. And I heard some of the most horrible things said, you know, about how that's just what happens to those kinds of people and all that. And it, it broke me on the inside because he was my friend and he was dead. He was shot on his way to school in the morning. That could have been me. We both walked to school. We actually would meet on this one street corner and then walk the rest of the way. And that morning we stood there waiting and he just never showed up. And we assumed he was sick and we didn't want to be late. So we just went on without him. And to hear these adults, these responsible people who are supposed to understand the world and how the world works, say such terrible things about my friend and wonder what he did to deserve it. Well, that, that, that was an eye opener, but honestly, my eyes really didn't open. The scales didn't fall from my eyes until about 1995. See, I had a friend named Arun. Arun was from India 
And we were heading down to Georgetown. I can't remember what we were doing. I think we were going to an open mic or something. But anyway, we were heading down to Georgetown. And to do that, from Frederick, you have to drive through Montgomery County. And as we were driving through Montgomery County, the cops put on their lights and pulled us over. Now, depending on the time of day, Montgomery County was then a place that you didn't speed in because they would write you a ticket. So you did everything that you could to stay within the lines and not get in trouble because they would just pull you over. And they pulled us over and the cop stayed in his car for a little bit until a second cop car arrived, which was procedure at the time. Because, um, well, there had been some people impersonating police and bad things were happening. So the second cop car arrived and the one cop went over to the driver's side and started talking to my friend who was driving, you know, the, the, the standard stuff, you know, and you see your license and registration. The other cop came around to my side. I was sitting in the passenger seat and asked me to roll down the window and I did. And he leaned in very closely and said, is everybody in there? Okay. I, did, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to react to that. Is everybody okay? Yeah, we're fine. We're going out for a night out. And I noticed him keep nervously looking in the back seat. If everything's not all right, you can tell me. Just blink your eyes three times and I'll know. So I tried very hard not to blink. And let me tell you something. That's really hard to do when you tell yourself not to blink. All you want to do is blink. But I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I watched his eyes keep flitting to the back seat. And that's when I realized he was looking at my, my friend, my friend from India. He was looking at this brown person sitting in the back seat, surrounded by five white kids. And he was concerned that we had been carjacked or kidnapped. That's why they pulled us over. We didn't get a warning. We didn't get a ticket. In fact, the other cop never told us why they had pulled us over in the first place. After they talked to us, they made us get out of the car. They talked to every single one of us. And once they were satisfied that we were all right, they let us get back in the car and go on our way. That was weird. And then every time we had anyone who wasn't white in the car and we drove through Montgomery County, we got pulled over. Same thing. Same thing. Every time. And that's when I saw the pattern. That's when my eyes were opened. Now that I'm older, I can only imagine the humiliation because it became such a common thing that if we were traveling through Montgomery County with anybody who wasn't white, they would lay down in the back seat so that they wouldn't be seen and we wouldn't get pulled over. And yeah, that was our solution. Let's just hide the person of color so the cops don't harass us. I mean, it worked. I don't know if it was the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. But that's how we got through it. That's how we would 
go to Georgetown without having to get pulled over because we weren't all white. And that's nothing compared to the stories that I've heard of people who don't happen to share my skin color. How do you not understand the world we live in? I mean, I didn't until then. And it's wrong that I had to have that experience to have my eyes opened. It's wrong that I had to be in the middle of a moment of institutional racism for me to see that it existed. Because everyone was saying it existed. I had heard the stories before that. But because I hadn't seen it with my own eyes in my own privileged little world, I didn't believe it. And, you know, I calm my own conscience about this saying, you know, I was just a stupid kid. Because I was. I was just a stupid kid. 95, I would have been, what, 18, 19, 20 on the month? Yeah, I was just a stupid kid. But here we are in 2020, and there are people on the television who are my age and older talking about how this isn't real, how people of color aren't discriminated against and treated badly by the police and by society at large. Really? Really? Look, I don't have a clean record on this. I don't. I, I grew up in a culture that didn't see the N-word as a bad thing, and that took me a long time to get. It did. Because I grew up with a Southern mentality. And I regret it. <laughs> I regret it. I've said some hurtful things in my life. And I've hopefully not done anything terribly hurtful. I've tried to apologize to the people that I can as I've had my eyes open more and more and more over the years. But my dear white people, we shouldn't have to witness it with our own eyes to know it's real. And even if you do, didn't you not watch the video? And I'm going to be vague now, because it's not just this recent one. Have you not seen all of these? All of them. Going back in time. We have so many. It's, <laughs> it's such a regular occurrence where people of color are murdered. <laughs> murdered. By cops. You know, that woman in... Central Park thinks that she can have her way just by threatening murder by cop onto a black person. Over and over and over again, this happens. How are we blind to it? I don't think we are. I don't think, I don't think that's the problem. See, I, I used to want to give my fellow white Americans the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, I, I think you realize that if you don't have someone beneath you, you have to evaluate your own life. You see, as long as there's an other 
that you can look down on and say, well, at least I'm better than them. You can justify the crap that happens in your own life. Because in this country, we're all oppressed by the rich. Some way more than others. And so the powers that be stoke that fear, that hatred, that division, so that they can continue to dominate us, take the value of our work and our labor <laughs> for their profit. Because we aren't going to come together because of something as silly as skin color. We need to stop all this. We need, as a country, to apologize for slavery, for Jim Crow, for the systematic racism that we have instilled into the very fabric of our country. Our Constitution classified black people as three-fifths of a person. <laughs> I mean, it's literally in our DNA as a nation. And we want to pretend it doesn't exist. No. We have to admit it. We have to be honest. Because if you're not honest, you can't treat the problem. And I mean that from whatever side you're on. If you just want the looting and the fires to stop, you know, maybe we should talk about reforming the police and getting health care and proper wages and housing Maybe we should think about those things. Maybe we should care about those things. And then that anger wouldn't be there. Because I was talking with Brian about this the other day when the video first came out and I accidentally saw it. I try not to watch all of those videos because they really affect me really hard. And I just turned on the news and they just happened to be showing it. And I was like, what's this? And before I realized what happened, I, I yeah. I saw it. And I, I, I told Brian later that night, I was like, you know, I know how I feel as a queer trans person about the, just the little subtle indignities that I have to deal with. Now imagine I had to deal with that from birth and so much more because it's not equal. It's nowhere near being equal. Like, it's the difference between a paper cut and a gaping flesh wound. I mean, I know how angry I am about this little paper cut that I got, right? This little bit of snobbery of people not wanting to use my pronouns or any of that. That little paper cut just makes me angry. Now imagine my body was covered with those. Those little insults, those microaggressions, that, that all the crap that we have done to people of color over the history of this country and continue to do to this day. I don't know how I would not be rioting. I don't know how I would not be burning everything down. I don't. So if you're one of the people that doesn't understand the anger if you're one of the people that doesn't understand why this is happening, please wake up. 
please wake up. I, I don't know what to do <laughs> to get you to wake up. If all of the filmed murders of black people doesn't wake you up, I'm afraid you might be in a coma. And that moral coma is a danger to you and to our society. I just don't know. I had to say something. I don't know if this was the right thing to say or the wrong thing to say or any of that. Because trust me, this is not what I wanted to talk about today. I, I have a new project and I want to be talking about that. And I want to be talking about things that are happy and exciting and fun. But I felt like not saying anything was wrong. And I also have to say, my voice doesn't matter. It doesn't. If you heard this, please find people of color to listen to them. Their voices matter right now. If you just need a place to start on the late show the other last night, the other night, Stephen Colbert talked to Killer Mike. Just go listen to that. Start there. He, he gives you homework, people to look up, people to see. Go see what Nina Turner is talking about. Find someone who's lived in that nightmare and not just seen it by the side of the road in Montgomery County. They've got some stories to tell you. We can change and we need to change. This is normally where I do all that stuff about me, but this isn't about me. So if you've gotten this far and this means something to you, say something. Don't be quiet. Rise up. We have to make compassion and justice the heart of our society. That's the only way we get through this together. It is. And with everything going on this year with the pandemic and this and the economy getting whack-a-mole, you know, we need to be together more than ever. We really do. So I'm not going to go through my normal spiel on the out, but I do have to say one last thing. I was so proud that I do this podcast with Anchor because of the statement that they put out. And it's one of the things that inspired me to do this because I think we all have to have one voice united right now. So thank you for listening. And until next time, stay well, stay safe, and don't forget to have the fun. Because you know what? Justice and compassion, they're fun. <laughs>